righty. Um, that was a Servolution event that you just saw the video clip. That was our teenagers. Our teen ministry or student ministry is called Encounter, Encounter Student Ministry. The young man who stands right here and plays the guitar leads us in worship is Jared Grantham, and he is our student ministry's pastor. And so uh, he led our kids on a, <clears throat> on a Servolution um, event. This was a national event. I uh, don't know if you read about it or checked it out on the internet. Uh, Dino Rizzo uh, is a pastor of a church, I believe, down in Louisiana, and some of our folks have heard him speak, and uh, he's quite a character, and he started this movement, and so, um, so we got involved, and uh, the teens went around painting those uh, numbers on the curb, as you saw, and uh, they would go up and knock on the door, and nobody would answer. And then they'd leave and they'd start painting on the sidewalk and those people thought they were selling something, I guess. And they'd come out and go, come back and paint mine. And um, so we went out and did that and all we did was give them a little ARC card. And I don't know if you know about our ARC cards, Acts of Random Kindness, where you just do an act of random kindness for somebody and leave the card and uh, you require nothing back from them. And so we hope you'll pick some of those up and just... Do some of that in your community, in your neighborhood. I pulled up at the uh, window at Bojangles one day, which is something I do on a very consistent basis. And uh, there's some things in my life that are very consistent. And uh, <clears throat> I was going to pay for the people behind me and just give the card to the lady and say, look, give, give this card and say the guy in front of you paid for it. And it was a van load of painters. <clears throat> so I asked her, well, what about the car behind them? And uh, so, got to know your limits. <laughs> there is no better witness than to just do an act of random kindness for somebody and leave a card that says, we love you and Jesus loves you. And uh, we put a little information about the church if they do want to check us out, but uh, we don't certainly um, require uh, anything back from them. Inside your worship program is this little insert that says Summer Church. I want you to use this the same way you used your cross and crown insert. A lot of you use those as invitations. So you know people who go to the beach every summer and uh, they, um, they, they, you know, kind of skip church during the summer and then come back in the fall and so we just thought we would help them out by having a service, Sunday morning service, on Thursday night. And then they can come to that Thursday night church and book out on Friday guilt-free. <laughs> I think I'd enjoy my vacation a lot better if I wasn't feeling guilty the whole time. Wouldn't you? Amen? And so we got that for them. It's called, um, we're calling it Sunday morning on Thursday night. So it'll be at the bridge, the new bridge location. Everybody say this with me. Repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, we will be at the New Bridge location before June 1. In Jesus' name, full of glory of God, by His power. <laughs> There's a lot to do. And so uh, uh, Jim Gilligan is uh, smiling and saying, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And so you pray for Jim. Um, sometimes if you cannot find Jim Gilligan, he is under his desk in a fetal position, 
crying, and uh, you may find him there. We really need this blue card from you. Jim's our executive administrator, by the way. But um, we have this blue card. We need that from every household every time you come to church. Now, once you give us all the information, the detailed information, you don't have to do that anymore. But this is the way we know you were at church. Put your name and the date and uh, put your prayer request on the back and uh, drop it in the offering bag, and that helps us out, okay? All righty. These uh, young ladies who were up here singing, uh, that uh, again was uh, Allison Bailey and Ricky Nelson, and they competed yesterday in talent competition. And so uh, we want to be praying for them as they continue to represent not just our church, but this whole area, uh, whole eastern North Carolina area uh, in their competition. Inside your worship program, you'll find this little card that says Church to the Max. We want you to write down any question you have about this church. Any question you have. And we will try our best to answer it. And on the last Sunday of the series, and this series is seven messages. And so this series is a little bit longer because it's so important. But on the very last Sunday... Uh, we are going to put the staff up here on stage, and we're going to answer your questions about this church. We're going to answer them live. And um, so write them down on the card and drop them in the offering uh, bag, or you can drop them off at the information desk, or you can drop them off back here at the Guest Welcome Center, whatever's most convenient for you. And we will answer every question. Now, the ones we don't answer because we run out of time, we are going to put the question and the response on our website. So every question will be answered, all right? And no, I do not know where Cain got his wife, so don't ask that one. Um, I guess he met her at a singles meeting. But um, <laughs> um, Church to the Max sermon series right here, so get that out. Let's get into the Word of God today. You ready for the Word? Amen. We're going to begin this series with a question and the question is this, what are the qualities God is looking for? What is it God is looking for in a church that would allow God to use that church to its full capacity, to the max? What qualities would have to be true about a church for God to look at that church and those qualities and say, that is a group I can do great things through. We want to find out what the Bible says. It isn't important what I say. It isn't important what my opinion is or what your opinion is. What is important is what God said. In order for us to be a church to the max, it all begins with individuals. If you are not a believer, Christian to the max, then we will never be a church to the max. So it begins with me, and it begins with you being everything that God wants us to be. So my prayer through this series is that God will begin to give you a vision for what he wants you to do with your life. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this. Some of us are just doing what God or just doing what other people in the church told us to do. Here at Whitley Church, uh, when you come into our church family and you say, okay, 
Um, you know, the church isn't perfect, pastor isn't perfect, but this is where I want to go to church. And you're never going to find a perfect church, and if you do, don't go to it or you will mess it up. <clears throat> so you come here and you go, you know, I, I want to go to this church, I want to be a part of this church. And uh, so, so you come in and maybe you've not had much, um, much Bible teaching or very much Bible training on, on your responsibility in the body. And, and uh, so you come in and you just kind of do what people say. You just kind of, you know, the pastor says we need people over here, so you kind of run over there. And we've got a little saying here at Whitley Church that, uh, that we really believe in. We believe everybody has a specific gifting, and everybody has a specific calling, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But we also believe that we give our heart and our hands to the place of greatest demand. Y'all with me? So, so, you know, your gift might be in teaching, or your gift might be in music. But that doesn't mean if you don't have a teaching opportunity or a music opportunity that you can just sit and wait until that comes along. During that time when you're not able to maybe use the gift that you are, are just so gifted with that is your primary gift, then you give your heart and your hands to the place of greatest demand, which could be changing diapers. Because I have never had anybody come up to me and go, I have just such a gift for changing diapers. <laughs> and I want to work in the nursery all the time. I never have had that. So that means you just go in there and serve. Now, i got to tell you something. When you go in there and love on them babies and serve and, and put up with all that <clears throat> atmosphere, while mom and dad come out here and receive the word of God and are blessed, you, sir, you, ma'am, are going to be greatly rewarded in the kingdom of God. I'm telling you. Every time you sow seed like that, you are going to reap a beautiful harvest. So serving in the nursery is not a job or something we really need people to do. It is an opportunity for you to plant some seed in the ground that is going to bring back some fruit in your life that is amazing and wonderful and, and fruit that you won't ever enjoy. You know what I think? I think there's a different kind of fruit that comes, a, a better fruit, a, a, a more beneficial fruit that comes when you give yourself to the place of greatest demand. I mean, it's easy to give yourself to the place where you're super gifted and can't wait to get there and want to get there and want to do it. You know, preaching's the easiest thing I do. Shouldn't have told y'all that. But it's the easiest thing I do. But I have to do things that are that I'm not as that I don't do as easy as I do this. But it seems like to me that the fruit that you get from doing those things that are not your main gifting, it seems like that fruit is richer. It's it's uh, I don't know, it's more beneficial to you in some way. So so give your heart and your hands to the place of greatest demand. Many people think they were created to simply draw their breath and draw their salary, but God has a destiny for you. God has a destiny for your life. I don't care who you are or what you think of yourself, and I don't care what somebody told you, some parent or some teacher or some person of influence in your life told you, 
to put you down. I'm telling you, your creator God has a destiny for your life, an amazing, incredible destiny and vision for your life. And I hope this series will wake you up to what that is. I want you to consider with me in this series the possibility that God has something bigger planned for your life than you ever dreamed, than you ever dreamed. Some of you have a dream. Some of you have a dream of, of one day this, or one day this is going to... I've got a feeling that your dreams that you think are so awesome, if you would really get plugged into God, you would find out what he's got planned is even bigger than what you have planned or what you think is going to happen in your life. Maybe you've always thought that greatness is for other people. Or maybe you've never even allowed yourself to believe in the possibility that God wants to accomplish great things through you. And in this series, I want you to begin to believe that. I want you to begin to trust that. God's criteria for greatness is vastly different from the world's criteria because God's ultimate objective for your life is the extreme opposite of the world's objective for your life. To the world, you are a client. To the world, you are a number. To the world, you are a customer. To the world, you are a means to their end. To God, you are the end. To God, you are the goal. God doesn't use people in the sense that the world uses people. God is ultimately after you. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing your life and your talents and your abilities to help him, assist him in building the kingdom of God. And when you begin to dream and when you begin to honestly ask him, God, what would you have me to accomplish? What would you have me to do? What would you like, who would you like to see me reach? When we begin to allow ourselves to dream that way, many times these uh, dreams get us excited, but then it seems that a cloud will form. A cloud will form over us and and we will begin to say, yeah, but this, or yeah, but that, and all of a sudden reasons why we can't fulfill that dream. They begin to come into our mind, and the dream that was crystal clear now becomes dull, and we begin to doubt our ability. And sometimes this cloud will come in right at the time when we were so excited and, and so motivated and, and that dream will come in and cause us or that cloud will come in and cause us to remember embarrassing times when we failed. I don't know about you, but that's one of the things the enemy uses against me is he always brings back those times when stuff didn't work out the way I thought they would. And how I felt embarrassed by that and disappointed about that. And he brings up my past failures. And some of you sitting right here under the sound of my voice, you've been right on the verge of a breakthrough in your dream. And the enemy would come in and go, you can't do that. Don't you remember when? You can't do that. Don't you remember how you felt when? And you shrink back. And you withdraw, and again, your dream goes unaccomplished. Excuses begin to flow out of these 
types of thoughts and they begin to come out of our mind and we begin to speak them with our mouth and though we do not quickly recognize it, these thoughts and words that cloud us are not coming from the Lord. They're not coming from God, but they are a result of confusion that has come because uh, God is looking for us because of the confusion between what God is looking for in us and what the world is looking for in us. The world wants us to conform to its mold. Remember this, the world system wants to use you, chew you up, and spit you out, and then move on to the next one. But God, you are his goal. Your best your, your fulfillment, your fruitfulness, that is God's goal. If you haven't turned to God, if you haven't given your life to God, listen to me this morning. This is the greatest reason in the world to come to him. You are his, you're the apple of his eye. You, you, are, you are that thing that he is most interested in. Think about the creation. He made all this awesome stuff and then he said, now I've got it just right. I've got it just right. And, and you can almost hear the excitement in God's voice as he says, now I will make my most prized possession. I will make man and put him in this perfect environment. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares about us. And when you think about what we did shortly after he put us there, how he said you can eat all of the other food and all of the other provision, but there's this one tree. And we went and we broke his heart and broke the law and partook of that. And then, and then he says right after we did it, he said, okay, I'll send my son. I gave you everything. I made your life perfect. I ask you not to do one thing. You could do everything else you wanted to do. Walk around naked. <laughs> uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you can do whatever you want to do. And, and just don't eat of, and we just went over there and ate of that. I know some of y'all are looking around going, thank God that changed. But, I don't know why in the world I went there. I'm sorry. Let's back this tape up. <laughs> and, and, and God gave us all that, and then we said, we, we want that. But God said, if you just won't have that, you can have everything. Yeah, but just something makes us want that. And so we took it, and when we did, he said, okay, okay. With tears... He's a daddy God. He said, I'll send my only son to die on a cross so you can come back. That's how much he loves you. You're the apple of his eye. There's nothing more precious to God than you. And all he asks is that you serve him. Well, as individuals... <clears throat> What is God looking for in us that we can serve him? Let's look at this very quickly. I want to give you four things that God is looking for in the heart of an individual person 
so that he can use that individual. Now, we'll get to the church, but right now, what is it that God is looking for in me, Farrell Hardison, and in you so that he can use us to our maximum capacity? Number one, God is looking for a pure heart, a pure heart. God is looking for someone who has an unmixed heart. He's looking for someone who has a fully devoted heart, devoted to his will and his purposes. The second thing God looks for in in us, that he might be able to use us um, as a maximum Christian, is he is looking for people, men and women, who have his perspective on obstacles. You've got to have God's perspective on obstacles. And this is what is holding a lot of you back. Because every time you face an obstacle, you throw your hands up. Every time you face an obstacle, you say, well, it was never meant to be for me, evidently. Can I tell you something? Everybody has them. I'll raise my hand. I'll raise my hand first. Has the devil ever told you, you have more obstacles than other people? Has he ever told you you have more problems than other people? Has he ever told you that, that you, he's just kind of picked you out, that, that you got more mountains to climb and, and all that kind of stuff, and he's not really sure there's enough power, that he has enough power to, to get you through? He can get other people through because they don't have that many obstacles, but you got so many, he, you're just never going to make it. You ever hear that word? You ever hear that voice in the enemy? Well, we've got to get a, well, first of all, that's true. It's a lie. It's coming from the enemy. So we've got to pray. This is a prayer point. Matter of fact, these are four prayer points right here that you can ask God for in your life. God, I want a pure heart. What is that? Teach me. Teach me how to have a pure heart. Number two, God, teach me how to have your perspective on obstacles. What is, a, what is God's perspective on obstacles? Listen to this. God's perspective on obstacles and, and what he wants us, the, the, the perspective he wants us to have is that we see them as opportunities for God to demonstrate his awesome power. There's an old song we used to sing a long time ago that says if there weren't any valleys, there couldn't be any mountaintops. And if there weren't any obstacles, then we couldn't see the glory. I mean, if we never faced any tough stuff in our life, how would we see the incredible, amazing, miracle-working, overcoming power of Almighty God? That is when God shows up. That is when God is demonstrated. It's when you're in your darkest hour, when you're at your lowest point. That is when God shows up, and, 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 and it is of that kind of setting that great testimonies are born. So see that obstacle as a way for God to demonstrate his awesome power in your life. And the third thing God is looking for in men and women is a passion to obey him. Obey him. Obey his word. Obey his logos. That means obey his written word, the Bible, the written word of God, that book called the Bible. Obey the Bible. But then there is that rhema. That word out of the word that he speaks to you particularly about your life, obey it. Obey it. God is looking for men and women who are willing to be obedient to God and follow him. Listen to this. Regardless of the consequences to them personally. When you're willing to obey God and you know it's going to cost you, 
but you're willing to obey God, that's when God can begin to use you. Number four, God is looking for men and women with an external perspective. I'm sorry, eternal perspective. People who are able to see beyond this present world. Can, can I just tell y'all, you better get that one. <laughs> you better get that one because if all you're seeing is this world, you are depressed. If you don't have the hope in your heart of the world that is to come, then it would be hard for you to press on. Paul talked about the blessed hope. The blessed hope that, that when things get dark and when things get, and, and I look around, I watch the news sometimes, and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, so you almost feel panicky with the stuff you see on TV, but then you need to remember what God said. He is coming back, and he will rule, and he will reign, and we will be his subjects. And a person who has that perspective so deeply that they're willing to make decisions in this life and they're willing to make adjustments in this life based on what they know is certain to come. So these are four qualities that I believe will give an individual incredible potential. Let me hurry. So in the next few weeks, I want to talk about what it is from God's perspective that gives a church the potential to live up to its maximum capacity. Let me just ask a couple of questions to help you um, do an evaluation. What is God looking for in a local church that from his perspective, and I couldn't think of any better terminology, so I'm just going to use what I came up with, that, that from his perspective frees him up to do everything he wants to do in and through that local church? What is it God would see in Whitley that would make him feel free to come in here and go, man, that's a group of people I can do something through right there. Y'all with me this morning? Think about it. Think about it. What can I do? What can we do that will make God look down on Whitley Church in the bridge and say that is a church that I can use to their maximum capacity? To build my kingdom in that community. If you ask the average person what makes a church great, you'll hear things like this. Well, location. What do the realtors tell us? <laughs> well, we've already proved that's not true. I mean, who would have said, I tell you what, we're going to start a church called Whitley. Let's find some chicken houses. <laughs> some turkey houses. And let's find a hog house and let's get right in the middle of that because we'll sure grow then. <laughs> now let's get about six miles from the city and let's don't get too close to the west because then you'll be close to Smithfield. So let's just kind of get out there in the middle. Let's call it no man's land and let's just build a church right there. People say location is important. The church should have some, you know, some people say, well, I think the church should have some movers and shakers, you know, from the, from the community. You want, some, you want some big, powerful political people, you know, in your church. i tell you another thing that helps if you want a great church, you've got to have a bunch of money. And you've got to have nice buildings where they won't come. 
you got to have a whole bunch of property, property, and you got to have all these programs, and you got to have things for children, and you got to have activities for the community. And no doubt, these things are great to have. Matter of fact, we got most of these things. They're great, th- and I'm not against these things. But and then you ask a Christian, you say, and this is the answer you get from Christians: Hey, man, what makes a great church? They'll often say, Well, you need to baptize a lot of people because that means they got saved and. By the way, next Sunday in the second service, we couldn't do it this Sunday because <laughs> Pastor Jimmy. Um, so next Sunday afternoon, we're going to do the baptism. And we're going to baptize, baptize, <laughs> we're going to dunk about, um, <laughs> and we hold people under till they say tithe. Uh, but we're going to baptize about 30-something people next Sunday. Isn't that awesome? And um, I would want to be first, I'm just saying. But then I just thought, I'm going to be in there the whole time. Anyway, uh, they'd say you need to baptize a lot of people, and uh, when you give an altar call, you need a lot of people coming up during the altar call, and there ought to be a strong uh, message from the pulpit, strong exegetical and expository message from the pulpit, and the church needs to be growing because the church ain't growing something wrong with it. And you should be taking up these big offerings and you should have a radio ministry. And need, These are the kind of answers you get when you ask Christians what makes a great church. But most of the time, the things that people mention are things you can count. Have you ever noticed that? It's always stuff you can count. People ask me, I, I run into people, how many of y'all running out there now? So we're running 3,000. We've caught about a thousand, <laughs> but we're chasing three thousand. How big are your offerings? How 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 many and how much? Those are the two evaluation questions for most Christians. How many and how? Isn't that the truth? And and it's like it's it's almost like as if 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 you don't have many then you must not be doing things right. And if you got a lot, you must be doing things. Can I tell you a big church is not a healthy church necessarily? A big church is not necessarily a healthy church. And so what we're going to see in this series as we go through God's Word is this. The qualities God is looking for in a church have nothing to do with the things that uh, you can count or put on a chart. And so let me tell you why we're doing this series over the next six Sundays and why it's so important to me. Because I've grown up in church all my life. I don't know about you all, but I haven't been in church all my life. Uh, I I have been in church, um, uh, I mean, I was born on the third pew from the back. (laughs) Somebody's back there going, ooh. (laughs) So the idea of simply going to church, i got to tell you all, can I just fess up? The idea of just simply going into church doesn't going to church doesn't motivate me. I don't want to just go to church. I mean, there are people who get up every Sunday morning and dress up, and it's all right to dress up. I'm dressed up. This is formal wear for me, and I, formal wear is socks. When I wear socks, I'm really dressed up. So I'm not really interested in going to church just to go to church and hear a sermon, sing a couple of songs, and go home. I've got to tell you something. 
I got better things to do with my time than that. Matter of fact, um, and I'm not dogging anybody here, I'm just saying a lot of churches, you'd get more out of Bible study, you'd get more out of even fellowship at home with your family and just open up your Bible and have some house church than you would to go to a lot of churches. And I, I'm not pointing fingers today, I'm just saying I am not interested in just going to church to get a little gold star by my name. In these days of my life, I tell you what I want to do. I want to find out what God is doing, and I want to get in on something he's doing. I want to discover what he's doing, and I want to get in on it, and I want to get this church in on it. Henry Blackaby came out with a teaching years ago called, I Want to Experience God. Experience God, not just go to church. Find out what God is doing rather than determine uh, what I want to do and then ask God to bless it. Find out what he's doing and get in on it. And here's my whole philosophy as a pastor. I think we ought to pray in order to know what God's doing. You got to pray. You got to read. You got to open your eyes to the world around you. And you've got to look around the country and the world and see what is God doing and get in on it. For instance, what is God doing in children's ministry? Find out what God's doing in children's ministry in 2009. Who's getting it done? Who's reaching kids? Who's bringing kids to Jesus and kids are being converted? And I cannot tell you all, staff meeting this past Tuesday, my youth leaders testified over and over and over. And then we had a ministry director's meeting on Tuesday night and they testified over and over and over. Listen, don't just count people who come up here or raise their hand in here. They're getting saved all over this campus. All over this campus. <laughs> Teens are getting saved in the Carpenter's house. Royal Rangers are getting saved at Fort Zion. Little girls are getting saved in the Impact Building. Pastor Jimmy talked about kids who are coming to Jesus in our kids' church. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. What is God's doing in student ministry? Let's find out. Let's look at churches that are reaching kids and transforming the life of kids. Let's see what God's working in and what God's doing and let's get in on it. College ministry, singles ministry, discipling people, not just getting people saved, but getting them deeper. What's going on with outreach? And, and servolution was one of the things we felt like was a God thing. We wanted to get in on that, and we'll be in on it even more when they do it next year. And missions and small group ministry. And let's find out what God is doing and, and what churches are being most effective in that and, and what are they doing to be effective and our lives being changed. And, and we want to look at models where lives are being changed and people are coming to Christ and people are being rescued from the pits of hell and put on a road to heaven. See, we want ministries here at Whitley Church where people's lives are changed. What a shame, what a shame it would be if someone stood before Jesus and said, I went to Whitley Church all my life, but saved. They never got around to that. I colored a lot of pictures and learned a lot of Bible stories, but I never was brought to a point of decision 
We've got to align ourselves with what God is doing, our goals, dreams, strategies, and plans. And I'm going to tell you something else. I do not want us to ever conform to what the community standard says a church ought to do. They'll kill you. Here's how I know when we're doing right. When people are talking about us negatively. I'm not kidding you. The day everybody loves Whitley Church, something's wrong. I Look, we did Thursday night. I just did that to freak some people out. Did y'all hear the response during the crossing the crown when I talked about go to church on Thursday night and then go on to the beach? Everybody's like, hey, yeah. You know, they thought they'd go to hell for being happy about that. It tells you it tells you how the community standards that don't have anything with the Bible have crept into the church, and we've made things that are not God's law, we've made them law. And that's legalism, and that will bind you. There are people that are going to get saved because somebody's going to go, no more excuses, no more excuses. they got a church on Thursday night, say, so, oh, yeah, before you go to the beach. And they're going to go, all right, okay. And they're going to go out there, and they're going to meet happy people. And they're going to hear rocking music. And they may not even love Jesus, but they'll be giving it some of this. You know. <laughs> and, uh, and then they're going to hear a message that relates. And they're going to hear a pastor say, don't worry about it, I mess up too. We all mess up. We're all broken people. Striving toward Jesus to put us back together. And they're going to hear there and they're going to go, man, I didn't know church could be like this. And I didn't know that's how God felt about me. And I want him in my life. And listen, if they get saved at the bridge on Thursday night, and when summer's over, they go back to their church, glory to God. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. All I know is when you give away what God's given you, he just stands over you with this big heavenly five-gallon bucket and just keeps pouring it on you because he sees you just giving it away. So he goes, more buckets! <laughs> He's pouring it on us. Pouring it on us. Amen, amen. So that's why I believe this sermon series is so important. My time is gone. I've run out of time. Let me just move on. One of, I, I want us to be a church that, that uh, I want us to be the real deal. I, I want us to be the real deal because that's the kind of church I want to pastor. Can I just tell y'all, I just hate fake. I hate fake. I hate pious, holy, holy people who get to church and they cussed all the way here, and then when they get out of their car, they sound like they swallowed a steeple. <laughs> Good morning, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, my brother. We're going to put a sniper on the roof, just take people like that out. <laughs> I just don't even want to deal with it, just take them out. We'll try to get an usher out there to share the plan of salvation, and when you does, goes. See, I, I want us to have a church that our kids get to be a part of the real thing. 
so that when your children and your grandchildren go off to college and they're living in some college town and, and they're hearing all this liberal garbage and all this socialist, communist, anti-God message and they've got to sit in those classes to get that education and professors are standing in front of them mocking the Bible and mocking God and saying none of it's true and everything you've always been told in the truth that the kids who go to this church will say, you say what you want to and I'm going to pass this test and I'm going to do the best I can. But because I went to Whitley, because I went to the bridge, I know who my God is and I know who I am. And my feet are planted firmly. And you go ahead and say all that, spew that mess out all you want to. And I've got to sit here and listen to it because I want a good education. But I want to tell you something. You're not going to rock me when it comes to my spiritual life and my relationship with God. I am firm there. Amen, 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 amen. Let me just close here. should already close. Here's the challenge for us. Are we, are we willing as a corporate body to do what it takes to become that kind of church? And I love where we are, but, but let me just go ahead. And, we ain't there yet. We're not really there where I want us to be yet. So are we willing to make those changes? Look what Jesus said. Uh, I need to read some scripture. I'll sure enough die and go to the bad place. So let me read some scripture. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus has finished his ministry and he's at the table of the last supper here. Judas has betrayed him and left the room. Jesus is giving instructions to the remaining 11 disciples. And in his characteristic fashion, Jesus just gets to the bottom line. He says, here it is, men. If you don't get anything else I say, if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Then he gives the central criteria for greatness. The central criteria for greatness. Now listen. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this, not by, and I'm not against any of the things I'm about to mention, but he doesn't say they will know it by miracles. He doesn't say they will know it by signs and wonders. He says, but by love, not by great teaching and preaching. That one offended me just a tad. They're not going to know you're my, my followers by your gifts and your talents and how good your choir is. But by your love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. And then he says it again, if you love one another. If the world, Jesus says, is going to know that you are my followers, then the most important characteristic you can possess is your love for each other. I think it's important that Jesus did not say 
that the world will know you love him because you love lost people. He didn't say that. Now, how many of y'all think we ought to love lost people? <laughs> Duh. But he didn't say that. It's true, but he's giving us the most important love, the most important kind. Not for lost people, not for people in the world, not for outsiders or unbelievers. And I think one of the reasons Jesus did that is because sometimes it's easier to love outsiders. Y'all with me? Jesus says, this is a new command I give you. And he was in that Jewish culture. And you have to understand a little bit about that Jewish culture. And I know what time it is, but let me, let me get this in. And he says, I give you a new command. I give you a new command. But when these Jews hear Jesus use the word command, it grabbed them because he knew that those Jews, the law, the law, there was nothing more important than the law. So we said, okay, if the law is so important to you, I've got a new law for you. And not only is it a new law, it goes on top of all the other laws. And it is that you love one another. Jesus was telling us here that greatness is not based on how big or how many or how much, but are you loving one another? Yeah, but God, did you know we had record attendance last Sunday? And hey, God, did you see how much we gave at missions? And hey, hey, God, you, you noticing all these outreach things we're doing? Yeah, 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 God says, that's great, but are you loving one another? Hey, God, did you notice our Easter drama? Pretty cool. Hey, God, what about that new building we built out there for the girls? Isn't that neat? God's like, yeah, yeah, that's all fine, but can I ask you this? Are you loving one another? I can only use a church if they love one another. Nice building, nice drama, creative outreach, good music, incredible preaching. But I can only use the church if they love each other. I found out that, and, and asked myself, what does this love look like? I mean, Pastor Farrell's standing up here saying the greatest thing we can do as a church is love each other. So how does that look? And that's what we're going to pick up on next Sunday. I'm going to describe what loving one another looks like. So, so let me leave this thought with you this morning. If we want to be a church to the max, Jesus said, and this ought to be a relief to y'all, it has nothing to do with money. <laughs> Love each other. He said, it doesn't matter if you've got a lousy building, lousy preacher, lousy music. If you're loving each other, he said, you'll be a church I can do mighty things now, the reason I'm preaching this today is because God has been so good to us, and we've got some stuff, and we got some technology, and we got some really innovative and creative people, and we got people who love to live outside the box, and, and all that's wonderful, and, and God's blessed us with some great buildings and resources, and, 
and, and people are coming to us. You know, I go to a church like C3 and try to learn from them, and I want y'all to know all of a sudden, out of nowhere, churches are beginning to come to us and say, teach us what you guys are doing. Teach us what you guys are doing. And, uh, and, and we're very honored by that. But I got to tell you, man, if I'm honest with those guys, and I don't want to burst their bubble, but what I need to say to them is, are you folks loving each other? Because the reason we've got where we are now is because of the love y'all have for one another. Now, again, that level's not where it needs to be, but because of where it is, we've been able to do this little bit we've done. Isn't that awesome? Now, if we really, really, really fall deeply in love with each other and we learn these lessons that I'm going to teach over the next five Sundays and we begin to really treat each other like that, do y'all know what's going to happen in the future? We ain't seen nothing yet, baby. I'm telling you. Now those, those um, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and, uh, and right after Acts, there's a bunch of books called the Epistles. Now I know some of y'all thought they were the wives of the apostles, but they're not. They're, some of y'all, I can see disappointment. They are letters... That, that Peter and Paul and George and Ringo, no, that's the Beatles, that, um, that Paul and John and Peter and, and Paul wrote to their churches. Now listen to me as I close. Don't, don't disconnect. And if you study the epistles, you will discover that they taught basically two things in all the epistles. Now they taught a lot of detailed things, but basically there was a two-pronged message what to believe, they taught what to believe, and then they taught how to love each other, how to treat each other. So I went into the epistles, and I wrote down every verse I could find that had the phrase, one another. And then I categorized, there's, there's a bunch of those verses, I can't remember how many, 30-something verses that have the phrase, one another. And then I categorized those, and I came up with seven categories. So over the next five Sundays, we're going to go through those seven categories of love, how we're to treat each other. And then on the last one, the staff is going to sit up here on the stage, and we're going to answer those questions you guys give us. Okay? All right? Man, we got a bright future, don't you? Don't we? I'm going to have to start wearing shades to the church. <laughs> Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. If there's somebody here who doesn't know you, I pray that they will come up and speak with me after this dismissal. Because we're going to hang around up here at the front. and We're going to turn the lights down. There's going to be soft music. So anyone who doesn't know you, they want to make a decision for Christ, we're going to just ask them to come up.